Hey there, 20-somethings. Welcome back to another episode of the I've Been There podcast. I am very excited for you to listen to this episode. This one has been very empowering for me personally, because if you have listened to some of my other episodes, I am going through some internal shit. (laughs) Seriously, I am my own worst enemy right now. I have been beating myself up for many, many things. Um, It's almost like a perfectionism type of thing. And I'm going to war with myself like a lot of the times, mostly in relationships right now. Um, But we actually talk all about that. So this episode is absolutely for you. If you are someone who is also going to war with themselves, you're experiencing anxious insecurity, um, you are experiencing self-comparison and self-judgment, and all of those things combined and whatever it looks like for you, there's no right or wrong way it's gonna it's gonna look. We are all going through a similar thing possibly that just looks very different for some. So I really hope that this episode helps you. We speak with our self-relationship coach. His name is Jay and he offers a lot of advice and tips and resources for you and me to help us get through this self-comparison, judgment, just cruelty that we have toward ourselves sometimes because he has actually been there. He has been in your shoes. And again, that is the whole point of this podcast is to have experts on the show that have actually been where you are going through right now. So if you are someone who's going through all of this stuff, let me know. I would love to hear how it resonated, how it might have helped you. And if there's any advice that you might have for the show, I would love to hear it. Um, Go ahead and give the show a rating, a follow, a like, whatever it is on any podcast platform that you listen to. It really helps the show And it helps me understand who my listeners are and what you all need. So go ahead, give that, give it a like and a review. And I really hope you enjoy the episode with our dear friend, Jay. Hey there, 20 somethings. Welcome back to another episode of the I've Been There podcast. I have a pretty awesome guest here today. His name is Jay, and he is a professional coach who helps individuals break out of chronic insecurity and shame. He's right here in the Pittsburgh area, and with over a decade of experience, he specializes in helping people break out of what he calls anxious insecurity which is a chronic feeling of insecurity that causes us to feel like we are never quote unquote enough, regardless of how much we achieve. I think we can all relate in some fashion. (laughs) He has worked with clients from across North America and Europe and uses evidence-based modalities such as internal family systems known as IFS and self-compassion interventions. Really looking forward to this conversation with you all today. So welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. I was connected with Jay from a colleague at Highmark, which is located here in Pittsburgh, and he knew that Jay was just the perfect fit for the show. So really looking forward to hearing his story and all that he has to offer as his self-relationship coach. 
So Jay, if you could just walk us through um, what you do and who you are and how you got to where you are in your career as a self-relationship coach so our listeners can get to know you. Yeah, so I'll I'll jump in at the last question there of how did I get here today? Because I have kind of an odd background because I actually began my career working in emergency response and counterterrorism. So I'm in my middle 30s now. I was 15 when 9-11 happened. And at the time, I felt like terrorism was the greatest threat facing my community, my people. And so I got my degrees in it. I started working in the field. And it was positive in some ways, but it was also, it felt like I was also, we were chasing the problem afterwards. I would deploy alongside Pittsburgh SWAT to calls, or I would be doing intelligence work, but it always felt like we were chasing the problem instead of preventing it, which is really why I wanted to do. And at the same time, I had a breakdown in my early 20s, a complete, complete breakdown. And as I pulled myself up from that, I was fortunate to be surrounded by good people during that. And as I did, I started to realize that the problems I had were pretty much everywhere around me. That chronic insecurity, that endless self-criticism, which at the time pushed me to the point of being suicidal and never feeling like I was nothing, looking into the future and seeing nothing but blackness. As I came out of it and I started to heal and I connected with friends around me, everyone had some version of this. It might not have been so extreme, but it had some version of it. And I start to realize that, you know, we have this external threat of terrorism and things like this, which is a serious issue. But this internal threat of these mental and emotional problems was creating such a greater impact on our lives. And it didn't just impact us as people individually. It made us feel bad, but also was costing society as a whole. I mean, think about how many life changing works of art, books, scientific discoveries, businesses. All of these things that have been lost because they died with the people who they were born with, and they were never able to bring that out to the world. We are, we are living in a time of unprecedented problems where they feel like they're coming from everywhere. We need solutions. We need to be able to find a way to say these problems are opportunities and we can make a better world, but we can't do that if we're chronically trapped in this insecure fear. And so I started to heal, and at the time I met my partner then and she was a counselor who later became a coach and she met me and she said you know i really think you should give coaching a look and i did and it seemed like this great way to instead of fighting the bad in the world which is what i was doing up until then to help grow the good you know could i help people create some of these positive changes in their lives and could i even learn more about what made me get to this state and really you know helping people feel better itself is not necessarily what I would say is the end goal of my work. That's a means to an end. Ideally, what I want, what I hope to see happen with people in our work together is first that they are able to bring whatever their light is. It sounds cliche, but I don't have a better way to describe it, to bring their light to the world, to bring their gifts to the world, to, to let the world see who they are and bring that forward. And at the same time, to also build really good and strong, healthy relationships in their lives. Because if there's one thing we're missing in today's world, it's good, solid connection and belonging. And I think that's really the root of most of our problems. But we cannot be loved for who we are 
until we're able to be seen for who we are. And we can't be seen for who we are until we're able to take off our own masks. And whether you define this love and belonging as you going after that job you always wanted and joining that group of people doing that work, or you finding friends to last lifetime, or you finding a romantic partner, all of these things demand that level of vulnerability to have that real connection belonging. And you can only have that reliably if you're starting from a place of grounded peace and confidence inside instead of endless fear. And that's what I hope we achieve in our work together. Wow, very powerful. And that's exactly why this podcast was created as well. You alluded to in the beginning that you were kind of going through all of these challenges and seeing darkness a lot. And you realized that other people were going through some of the same things, which right. is what inspired you to, to, to take action and to do something about that. So I think that's extremely powerful. Um, kind of going off of what you alluded to at the end there in terms of what we desire and, and how we go about finding what we desire, whether it's a romantic partner or a job or whatever success might look like to some of us, right. we have to start off with coming from a place of peace and, and groundedness. Do you have any advice for how we might be able to get to that point of peace and groundedness and, you know, maybe also just like starting the healing journey. Cause I know a lot of our listeners and myself included, we are feeling a lot of this fear mindset and we want all these things, but the internal spiritual soul is really not in a healed place to, right. to be able to capture some of those things that we want yet. Sure. So I think, so I do what I call at least self-relationship coaching, which is helping people heal that relationship with themselves. And I, mm -hmm. I didn't come to this for any philosophical reason or because it sounds nice. Sure. I came to this because it works. It's it's what kept working in my in my professional side with clients. It was what's working in my personal life. And I would say at the heart of this is getting to the place where you see yourself as an ally you want to help instead of an enemy you want to defeat. And if we look at it that way, it makes us rethink almost this entire approach of, well, how do I how do I solve this problem in my life? I think up until recently, the overwhelming message you hear when you're dealing with something like insecurity is you just have to be bold. You just have to be bold, be brave and brute force your way through it. Just believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. Hurrah, strong power. Yeah. Okay. Fine. But it only goes so far. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's not, that is a really important skill to have, but it's good for short term problems. It's not, that's not a realistic solution for chronic every single day. You're just, you're saying, I'm going to go to war with myself every day and I'm going to make sure I win. That, that demands so much energy. It's just not sustainable. As yeah. soon as life throws you any sort of a curveball, you're going to be way off in left field. You just because you can't maintain it. So let's think about it differently. Let's think about it differently, and let's say, okay, what if fear isn't your enemy? What if this insecurity isn't your enemy? What if this critic isn't your enemy? Mm -hmm. What if we can ask, well, how is this all trying to help me? Can I look at at all of these problems that I see as a way of 
from a more compassionate lens. And so to me, like that grounded confidence that you talked about doesn't happen because we act confident. It, it comes from a place of knowing I'm already safe. And that comes, at least in my experience, a lot easier when you're starting from a place where you're saying, I'm no longer going to choose to fight myself if I can avoid it. If I can work with myself and say, okay, yeah, this is a problem. I realize it's a problem, but I don't have to punch myself in the face 10 times while I try to make this better. How, if I was engaging with someone I, I cared for, what advice would I give to them? Okay, well, how is that a model for how I could engage with myself? Wow. Yeah. I was just thinking, <laughs> had a little pause there because like, I guess my question would be like, what could that look like? I know you mentioned like, it's not just being confident. It's having those tools in the toolbox that you act upon each day to build up that confidence. So what are some of the, those ways that we can practice, whether it's confidence or self-love or self-compassion? Well, I think you actually have to split what you're doing into, into two different paths. So the two modalities I use most in my work are IFS or internal family systems and self-compassion. That, that feeling of, of security inside is ultimately going to come when you can find a way to engage with your deepest source of shame and heal it. That is, IFS excels at that. And mm -hmm. there's a very popular book out right now called um, No Bad Parts. It's by Richard Swartz, who is the man who developed IFS back in the 80s. It's been booming right now as all trauma-informed modalities are booming, but IFS in particular is exploding. And it's really good because it's really excellent at actually healing those deep wounds. Mm -hmm. That's it's kind of hard to do on your own though, because it's hard to hold the space needed to like heal and to hold all of that pain at the same time. Mm -hmm. So you can do things with yourself, but it's it's something that really like I do it and I still need to work with someone. But if so, if you're not there yet, self-compassion is probably the best thing you can look at. And Kristen Neff, who's easily the world's foremost researcher on self-compassion has a she has a couple books out but the one i know the best and the one i i recommend the best is usually just called self-compassion by kristen mm -hmm. neff and it it shows here's how we move from a way of engaging in self-criticism into engaging with uh self-compassion instead and because you still have that recognizing the truth of compassion like compassion is different than self-esteem self-esteem is all about like i'm amazing i'm great i'm wonderful blah, blah, blah. Everything's mm -hmm. fine. And that's not self-compassion. Self-compassion is I'm an imperfect human being and I will always be an imperfect human being, just like everyone else. I'm still deserving of love and respect, just like everyone else. No one is inherently better or worse. My worth as a human is constant and unchanging. I'm of, of inherent worth, just like everyone else around me. And it's if you're doing stuff on your own and you're starting out, I think the best place to start is to really get into some of the self-compassion stuff. And if you want to do more healing later, maybe look into IFS mm -hmm. and those materials. 
Yeah, those are some great affirmations that you mentioned. I think a lot of it has to do with that, like those those reminders that you tell yourself each day and you eventually start to ingrain them in yourself and, and truly believe them. I use an app that's called I Am, and mm-hmm. it's like a notification of an affirmation um, multiple times throughout the day. And it's just a great reminder to kind of just start ingraining those Uh, affirmations into my mindset. And especially if I'm going through something or whatever it is, it's a nice reminder to, to have. Right. My one question for you was you talked about like beating ourselves up and maybe not just feeling the compassion towards ourselves. Right. What if there was a case where somebody was not so self-compassionate toward themselves or they're beating themselves up because they're not listening to their intuition or their gut or whatever you want to call it. For example, I'm totally going through that right now. (laughs) I'm not listening to what I know might not be best for me. And, you know, I'm, I'm beating myself up. I'm like, you know, well, Maybe I'm not X, Y, and Z because of this reason, but really it's because the situation just doesn't serve me anymore and I don't want to accept it. So do you have any advice for that of just like truly listening to yourself and the things around you and finding that self-compassion to move forward? Well, I think there's a few different layers to that question. Mm. Um so I'm going to give an answer, but if you want me to go somewhere else, I'm happy to. I know that was a toughie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got real deep for a second. <laughs> yeah, no, that's perfectly fine. So I think we need to, for a lot of people, for myself included, self-compassion actually seems very threatening at the beginning. Mm. And so if I'm doing this work with someone or because this happened with me myself at the beginning was what about the idea of being kind to myself feels scary so for a lot of people in their in their 20s who i'm working with they without getting on too much of a soapbox pretty much everyone who's born after 1980 was born into a much more aggressive and competitive world than Mm -hmm. generations who lived before because of this there is a much greater need for us just from a survival aspect to be strict on ourselves and say, you know, I, well, I can't, if I feel like the world is very judgmental, I can't let people see any flaws. I can't let people see any of this. So really a lot of times, you know, the most common thing I hear when, when we're talking about self-compassion is when I ask, well, what, what makes you afraid of this? What makes you afraid of this is people will say, well, I'm afraid if I do this, I'm going to fall behind. Mm -hmm. or that I'm not going to um, be able to achieve what I need to. And that's an invitation to say, okay, well, can we see how this critic is in a way trying to help you? It's not trying to ruin your life. So if we take that same angle and we pose it back to you, you know, is there a way that you can look at the self-criticism you have towards yourself in this and see, is there a way that it's maybe trying to help you? Yeah, it's a major perspective shift. And I think that ties into maybe the term self-loathing. 
Maybe sometimes we get so caught up in whatever the situation is that we automatically start to self-loathe and self-critique and tell ourselves these limiting beliefs and these lies that, yeah, we're not going to get where we need to go and everything like that. Um, So, yeah, super powerful. Yeah, but I'm also just curious as we're having these conversations, anything coming up for you around the self-critical voice that you have inside your head about what it says to you and even how it might be trying to help you, even if that's hard to stomach right now? Mm, Yeah, I mean, oh, there's definitely a lot going around, like going on, especially just the internal there's different buckets, right? You have career, you have relationships, you have, you know, general responsibilities. Um, I would say the biggest thing is relationships with others right now. Mm. Um, you know, trying to get back into a previously, you know, a previous relationship, but going into it with a ton of insecurities because of whatever happened in the past, right? And so I'm telling myself, well, I'm not worthy of this relationship anymore because X, Y, Z happened in the past or like real, you know, to be truthful, I, I left the relationship and we're trying to make it work again. And it's like, you know, I keep telling myself, well, girl, like you, you left. So like, you don't deserve it anymore. Or like, you know, you're not good enough to be with this person anymore. And, you know, you should just like sit down and self-loathe for the rest of the winter and just like peace (laughs) and it's just so crazy (laughs) because I've never been in this this state of mind before I've always been hard on myself I think just as a competitive dancer and Mm. um, growing up with some athletes and I was always the youngest in the family so I always put pressure on myself to be more mature and have my shit together a lot earlier because I was always around older people in my past relationship. He was much older. So it was like, I have this, this definite critic that's like, well, you need to start doing this. And like, you need to be more responsible. And like, you can't be so silly all the time because like, you got to be mature. And it's just so crazy because no one really told me that growing up except for myself. So, um, I mean, I think it's great to have, you know, I don't need to toot my own horn, but have the level of self-awareness is really is good on my end to catch that. But it's definitely been an inner battle um, to recognize my own self-worth. For sure. No, thank you for sharing. All Thanks of for asking. Oh, <laughs> happily. And, you know, and this is this is obviously something that you that it, there's no quick fix for this. Oh, yeah. But I am curious if you and if you can't answer this right now, it's perfectly fine. But if you had, like, if you were to think of someone who you deeply cared about, whether that be a close friend of yours or a niece or nephew or something like this, and they were going through this exact problem, and they were maybe specifically about the relationship or something like this, I'm curious, what do you think you might say to them and what tone would you use as you say it? Yeah, I love this this exercise, this perspective, um, just in my own personal mental health experiences in the past, I've had some education around it. 
um, I did learn this one concept of, you know, how would you speak to yourself if you were, or, you know, somebody else, like you mentioned, as if they were a puppy or Mm. a baby, because those things are very um, loving and innocent and we don't want to put harm on them. Right. Right. So we are always speaking very delicately with them and trying to guide them to the best possible place. But we don't really do that with ourselves. And and that's right. kind of why you're asking. And I love that. Um, but if it were, you know, somebody I really cared for, that puppy or a baby, I would definitely really just reassure them. You know, I, I don't think I would sit here and be like, no, girl, like, you you hot, you got this. Like, <laughs> I mean, some people that works. But it's like, listen, it's like kind of meeting them where they're at and saying like, Hey, I can understand why you feel this way. And I, you know, recognize that you might not be feeling your best self right now. Um, but I'm here for you. I am here to support you, to help you. And I love you. And sometimes we don't really like feel that when we're going through our self-loathing or our self-critic we're like oh everybody like hates me or you know everybody's situation is a little bit different but for this situation um you know really meeting them where they're at and explaining them that they have a resource and they have somebody that they can lean on or check in with and again not so much stating you know you're amazing and you're great which we would love to say um but kind of pointing them in the right direction and stating like you are going to get through this and maybe set some goals. And I was just talking with my sister about this actually, before we hopped on this episode, I was just like, I feel so stuck. And like, maybe I do need some goals that I can work toward and just have something to, like I said, work toward. I know that was a very long answer, but those are some of the things I would say if I was on the opposite end of the spectrum. I think it's a great answer because in many ways you've identified what makes self-compassion so different and unique. And because you repeat it twice, you're kind of just not going to blow smoke up them and just say, you mm-hmm. got this, everything's fine. You're not going to whitewash this. You're not going to pretend like things aren't here. The truth doesn't exist. You're honoring the truth and you're honoring where they're at. And above all, you're just letting them know you're not alone. Mm-hmm. I'm here with you. What can we do right now to make your life just a little bit easier? How can I be here for you right now? Mm-hmm. And it's that that same energy is what we're really looking for when we're trying to change the self-relationship of just, well, how can how can we turn that towards ourself? If I look at myself and I say, okay, well, what's the best thing I can do for Jay for right now for the next 15 minutes? And a lot of times what that will actually do is cause me to go inside myself and say, well, what do I actually need right now? What is actually going on inside me? Instead of me trying to fit some sort of an image or archetype of who I should be, Mm -hmm. I'm self-reflecting and saying, well, where am I actually at? What do I need? Just as you said, I'm going to meet my friend where they're at. Well, we can do the same thing for ourselves. What am I at? Where am I at right now? What's going on with me? And how can I be here for myself in, in a supportive way? Realizing this is going to be imperfect. Realizing I'm not going to do a perfect job. We can have compassion for self-compassion being hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a general gist of it. What if there are some listeners out there right now who, again, myself included, <laughs> 
might feel shame for asking yeah. for what they need. And, you know, maybe they start to suppress that because they don't want to be so truthful about what they need because they don't want to feel a certain way, quote unquote, like that they're, you know, needy or greedy or whatever, whatever it is. What if, what, what advice do you have for that? So we, we see this pretty often in IFS because we meet parts of our, so IFS kind of views us as having a multiplicity of parts. Like you're not just Nicole, there are many little aspects of Nicole and we can work with all of those. So if you've ever said something like, well, part of me wants to do this and part of me wants to do that. IFS just says, okay, well, those are two parts of you that we can engage with. So we could reframe your question as saying, what happens with people who have a part of them that feels shame for asking for what they want. And so when we're doing IFS, sometimes we'll go to this and we'll find out the stories of these parts and how they got here. And a lot of times these parts were formed in either periods of growing up with maybe emotional neglect, where you were either punished for letting your, your wants or needs be known, or you were, they were just ignored. They were irrelevant. And so you learned to suppress them. Mm. I think everyone's, so the point of this is say, this is a common problem, but the way this problem forms is not, there's not like one uh, method of how we get here. So there's not necessarily one method for how to solve it. But I will say that at least in my experience, if you feel shame around this one, know that that's entirely normal. That's okay. I, I, I have experienced that too. I've worked with those parts of myself as well. And then say, okay, well, can I even have compassion for this shame, realizing that this is normal, this is okay, and say, okay, but if there is something that I could do just to make your life a little bit easier, like, can we start with small things? Can we start with small things, whether it's, you know, ideally, we want to get to the place where we're able to show up in all of our relationships and show up in all of our settings and say, this is who I am, and this is why I want, and, you mm -hmm. know. But can you be honest with yourself about what would be the best way for you to spend the next 15 minutes or what you really want to make for dinner? Mm. Can you start with those small things that aren't really triggering? And can you work on those small things to build that kind of habit? And then over time, it just seems that that shame starts to soften. Or you can do IFS and try to address it directly. But if we're taking the self-compassion road, which is a little bit more behavioral and taking time, it's like, I think that starting small and ratcheting up is a good way to engage with that. Wow. I love that. I love that starting small because I think sometimes when we are looking to make a shift, it's we take these big giant leaps and think we, sometimes we often think that we have to do everything under the sun. We have to do it all right away. But I like that you said it's the self-compassion, smaller, smaller bites. Um, so what, what are some other things I know you mentioned, like, you know, making a dinner for yourself, like starting small, mm -hmm. is there anything else um, you recommend for somebody who might just be starting out with those, those little items? My favorite one is the 15 minute thing. What's if you put on a timer for 15 minutes, what's the best way you could spend this 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that really just forces you to ask, what are my needs right now? Yeah. Do I want to take a nap? Would it be good for me to do the dishes? Would it be better for me to work on a project? Would it be good for me to dive down some Wikipedia hole? and learn about something that I am passionate about, but maybe don't make the time for? What about calling a friend? There's not really a right answer. It's more 
what's the best way you could do this just right now, just a small thing for yourself right now for 15 minutes. Cause really we're asking what are your needs that are unmet? What mm-hmm. unmet needs do you have and how can we start to address them in a small way? Yeah. And that's so powerful, especially for some of our listeners who, and I know a lot of my friends, they, they don't like to take that, those, those moments for themselves. And, you know, because there is that shame around it. And also I believe we are living in such a quote unquote hustle culture and such a fast paced culture where we're constantly filling our downtime with doing something. And I, I definitely do this as well. Like sometimes if I have downtime, like, yeah, I'm looking at my phone, I'm scrolling, looking at absolutely nothing. And then when I'm done with it, whether it was five minutes, 10 minutes, I'm like, I truly could have spent that five, 10 minutes doing something that would truly like actually give me more energy that I know that I need. Because then I end up feeling more shameful that I just sat there (laughs) and did, did something that I knew wouldn't even benefit me. And it's like this cycle. So here, here's a, well, I don't know if it's funny or not, but here's a story of mine that, that you're making me think of from early in my journey. I used to, I used to take a small break at, when I worked for the city, when I worked in emergency management in the, in the mornings and I would scroll through um, this website called text from last night. And it's just like all these terrible texts people have sending from each other. And it's just, it's just a complete just shit show. It's just, <laughs> People making terrible decisions and writing each other's writing each other texts about it and people posting it on this forum. And it's like one of those things that makes you laugh because it's so extreme. But like I started to realize I always felt worse. Like I felt mm-hmm. worse just about myself and I felt worse mm-hmm. about humanity afterwards. Yeah. And then I started to realize, oh, well, if I'm doing this every day and I feel bad and I know I feel bad, maybe this is a sign I should be doing something else. And so I actively went searching for something else. And I found within a few days, I found this blog called a thousand awesome things. And it was made by this Canadian guy who his wife divorced him and his best friend, I think committed suicide all at the same time or within a year. And he was spiraling down. And so he just started this blog to stay sane of a thousand things that he thought were great about the world. Mm. And like the first one is like, the mix of broccoli and cauliflower or something like this. Like, it's just like all these very small mundane things. But that was what I did then every workday as I would wait for his, cause it was still live at the time. I think it was like on number 400 some when I was doing this and I would just scroll through and I would see like, Oh yeah, that is really nice. Oh yeah. The sound of leaves crunching under your feet during fall. Oh yeah, that is cool. Mm. And so it was, I would do these small things. This was a 10 minute thing I would do most days, but I started to realize, oh, I feel better. So it is that self-awareness piece to say, how is what I'm doing impacting me? And how can I take, make different choices that make me feel better? Yeah, that's so important. I, I love, I love that like smaller those smaller nugget components. I did see something today on Instagram somewhere or something. And this is something that I've ingrained into my own just lifestyle over the last couple of years is really being mindful of what you do consume. If you are someone who, you know, I know I used to run a business through Instagram, so I was on, I was on it a lot. 
And it's being mindful of what you, who you follow, what you follow, because if you are consuming it often, like you are a business owner or whatever it is, if you consume it often, like that's what you, you start thinking about and you, you're becoming and yeah, you might be, get done scrolling and actually feel like garbage because you're not following things that make you feel good and people that make you feel good. And I have a lot of friends that are like, I just keep social strictly friends and family because that's all I want to see. Whereas some people like they follow a lot of different like influencers or whatever, which isn't bad, but just make sure, you know, you're following the ones that lift you up and don't bring you down or make you feel shameful or have that comparison syndrome. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I really... I didn't think about this until I started working with a lot more clients and I started to see that there would be this inflection point for people once they started to shift, like once we're able to ease that self-conflict and build that muscle of self-compassion or at least that intention of when I can, I'm going to make a better choice for myself. Almost everyone takes a social media sabbatical and they cancel all of their magazine subscriptions. Like we never talk about this. This is not something I tell them to do. This is not something that, because I rarely give advice in my work. It's a lot more, I'm asking questions almost constantly because I want you to know who you are and what you want. I'm not going to give you a prescription. My job is to ask, is to pull that out of you. And, but it was really interesting for me to see all of these different people, different ages, different walks of life. were doing the same things of like, yeah, I really need to just put all of that outside influence away until I feel better and then I can choose what I want to bring in. Mm. Yeah, that's really powerful. I think a lot of people made that shift during the pandemic. I noticed like some of the people around me, they really got off like social media or they got off, you know, whatever it was because they, they did start to realize life is short and we're going through a lot of these crazy times and, you know, let's take a step back and and reevaluate. Right. That's great. So we talked about a lot. You gave us a lot of great advice, but I want to know what advice do you wish that you had in your 20s as it pertains to your current career now? In my early 20s, my career really defined me. And I thought my career was going to go in a very different direction than it went now. And that transition was very hard for me because it wasn't just the change of careers, but was actually I had to let go of an identity at the same time as well. Mm. And if I could give myself that advice now or the advice I wish I would have had was. I wish I would have been able to know that who I am and what I do for a living are different things. And that. I am going, I'm going to have a weird road that is not going to make sense even to me. (laughs) And that's okay. But the less you fight it, the easier this is going to be and the more enjoyable it's going to be. And to just have acceptance for the path and realizing that just because you had a script beforehand doesn't mean that was the right script. It was just a script. And sometimes, you know, if you think about the most exciting moments for most of us are the ones that we least expected. And maybe having a little bit more excitement for the unknown and jumping into that with myself. But yeah, so just a little bit more of separation of identity and job and a little bit more of acceptance for who I am, even if I don't know who that person is yet. 
but faith that this is going to be an interesting life. You have me tearing up. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh my gosh, so powerful, so relatable. And that definitely goes back to what we mentioned about the hustle culture because Oh, we see all of these things and all of these like different opportunities that we can be doing. And it's like, you're, then you start to think like, well, if I'm not doing that, or I'm not doing what she's doing, or like, I'm not as successful as he is like, you know, what am I doing? Because we're defining ourselves by these tangible things or, or we define ourselves as, you know, I'm a marketing strategist and like, that's it. And it, right. it, it goes so beyond that. My sister and I were talking about this last New Year's Eve. We did like a whole like just cabin in the woods New Year's Eve. And it was cool. fantastic. We did like a lot of just like oh, healing and journaling. And it was awesome. But she was kind of struggling with that. And in terms of, you know, what was defining her with and it was a lot of it was her career because she's right. kind of like hit a wall with it. And she, you know, she kind of wants to grow a certain way with it. And she was like, but this has been my career for like the last 10 years. Like, who will I be if I'm not in this, in at this um, company, or if I'm not in this role, like what, what's going to happen to me? And I'm like, like it, you're going to be, that's not even who you are. It's, it's a component of you, but that doesn't define your personality, but I think I truly think it is really easy to get caught up in that. Um, that's the culture. Yeah, that's the culture, and that's that's something that I would still say. This really was one of those things that came with that economic shift we had in the 1980s. It it wasn't like this before. You talk to people of older generations, and it's not to the same degree, especially the silent generation, the one before baby boomers. Um, they just it doesn't really make sense to them. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to a lot of people around the world too. I've traveling is my vice of choice. It's it's what I love and I would say the uh, I know there's certain Asian cultures where the, your work is your identity. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a correlation between how competitive the market is and how big of a role this plays in our life. Mm-hmm. But when I've traveled through South America or parts of Europe, no one asks me about my job. No one cares we might be talking for three hours before it might come up. And I had a friend who was in France and, you know, she was talking with, with, she was visiting a friend and met this group of people. And some, someone there really was agitated with her because she did that American thing of asking what to do for a living, like Mm -hmm. as a way to get to know each other. And they're like, Oh, we don't understand this question. What <laughs> I do for work and who I am are separate things. My job says the same about me as my favorite color. Wow. Wow. That's wild. So wow. th- this is an American thing. This is a this is a cultural thing. It doesn't have to be this way. And it's really not this way for a lot of the world. Your relationships define you or your interests or your beliefs, your character, all of these things that make life so rich, which is far more than our jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know a lot of my friends who are dating right now, they, they express a lot of that feeling, you know, when you're going on a first date, it's like, oh, what do you do? Right. Where do you work? What do your parents do? It's never like, what's like the most annoying thing to do in your <laughs> life? Or like, what, like some like more like, just 
deeper. If you were an animal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you were an animal, like, what would you be? Yeah. And, but that's like, those are such, like, such more entertaining conversation starters that I think a lot of us should really start to tap into and, and see what new conversations come about other than just what do you do for a living? Right. Amazing. Oh my goodness, Jay, this has been such an awesome conversation that I am extremely grateful for. Not only it's a good time for me, (laughs) but (laughs) I know there's a lot of listeners who are going through a lot of the similar things. So thank you so much for your, your compassion and your advice and everything that we were able to talk about today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being here. Yeah. Is there any way that our listeners can get in touch with you and work with you? What's the best way? Yeah. So the best way, just for all the reasons noted, I'm not active on social media. So the best <laughs> way is through my website, which uh, James J. Stamatelis is just an obnoxiously long Greek name. I'll but, put it uh, in the, the show link, notes. <laughs> yeah, it'll be in the show notes. So just find it there. There's a, a form to, to contact me and we'll go from there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jay. And listeners, if you have any other questions, feel free to reach out to Jay or myself. Be sure to give this podcast episode an awesome rating. Reach out if it it resonated and have a great day. 